Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Listening to Wake Up Hollywood with Nikki Corula and Eddie Pence, right here on LA Talk Radio. you talking about willis what's going on what's up dude not that much dude todd bridges are out i saw that i saw that that's i mean i'm, I'm kind of like trying to play it cool but i was a huge different strokes fan man Sick. you know he's, uh he's the only one left right he's the only one left yeah yeah, yeah that's right miss garrett's gone too right maybe dudley or sam one of those but miss garrett's gone miss garrett's mr Drummond, Mr. drummond's gone you know i saw mr drummond in an awesome play at the pasadena playhouse he played this like kind of Mr. Brink was his character. I still remember the character. Was, was it like just this, basically Mr. Drummond? It, no, it was. It was like. like did a, he have range? Alternate. <laughs> yeah, he did actually. Oh, good. Dude, I was actually impressed. Well, he's probably one of those classically trained guys that did like theater his whole life and then books a sitcom in his sixties. Well, I'm guessing. I don't know. You could be that guy, Eddie. I hope not. You could be the sixties sitcom uh, without guy. the classically trained part. <laughs> How you been? How was your week? Uh, not much. Did you do anything for Cinco de Mayo? Oh, no. You didn't eat any Mexican food? Nothing? No. All right. Mexican people don't even celebrate Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> why, like, why am I going to do that? That's true. Maybe. Well, some do. That could be like the whitest thing you could do is celebrate Cinco de Mayo. Like, Mexican people don't even celebrate that. Well, some people do. Who? Did you celebrate the 4th? It's just a beer holiday. Like, Valentine's Day is a card holiday. It's like it was just made up. By, oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was a Mexican. Well, it's an actual thing, yeah. but then yeah. they took it and, like, let's use this to sell beer. Like for Coronas. Yeah. Or Dos Equis. It's not really, like, it's not like a huge, it's not like 4th of July in America. Right. It's not like Cinco de Mayo is not that in Mexico. That's true. What about May the 4th? May the 4th, May the 4th, is, 4th be yeah, with you? That's spectacular. That's a, big, that's a big That's one a huge one. Did you get the new Star Wars? What do you mean? Isn't it out? The new Star Wars is out. The Last Jedi? I've had that. Oh, it came out like, I haven't even bought it yet. I it came out in like February. Jeez, I'm so behind the times. Look at me. No. Jeepers, I'm creepers. I'm all Infinity War right now. You, have you seen it more than three times? Uh, four times, yes. Now, let me ask you this. Yes. What is the enjoyment of seeing it the third time around? It's amazing. It is amazing. But it's not a movie I'd want to see three times within oh. three weeks. I saw it twice in the first 24 hours. What? I saw it the third time in the first 72 hours. So did you catch something that you didn't the first time around? Uh, yeah, I always catch something different. Always. Every movie I see more than two or three times, I catch something different. That's the beauty of movies. Hmm. Yeah, there's there. that was a movie. I, I was in it. I was in it, so I pretty That's much amazing. got it. It's amazing. It was, it was an amazing movie. Marvel always has it. They're not together. Marvel knows what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Unlike, they know unlike what DC. they're doing. Unlike DC. 
DC is way off the mark. Bunch of dumb dicks. But you know what? It's uh, it's an exciting time. This is like blockbuster movie season. Yeah. We've got Deadpool next week. That's right. Solo after that. Yeah. I'm very excited about Solo. Do you have high expectations or low expectations? I don't really have any. Like, I'm excited. Like, I want it to be... I, I'm looking forward to it, but I'm like... I'll like it. It's Star Wars, so it's not, I'm not going to hate it. That's I don't hate good. Star Wars. I don't, even the prequels, as dumpy as they were, I don't hate them. No. Well, I hate the first one. They're hard to watch, some, some parts. First one's brutal to watch. Attack of the Clones is worse. I think the first one's no, bad. No, the acting. <laughs> yeah. Attack of the Clones is really the you think worst. it's worse. Oh than the first? my god! But Jar Jar Binks was you like pull out Jar Jar Binks and then like the you kind of ignore the, the kid, kid a little oh, bit. Man, but like annoying. you have Liam Neeson's Qui Gon's great. You have Obi Wan yeah, Kenobi. That's, that's great. I mean, there's and then the, the whole Darth Maul lightsaber duel at the end is amazing. One of the best lightsaber duels in Star I Wars. Agree with that. Yeah. Attack of the Clones is just garbage from well, beginning to it's and it's Christian it's all shot on green screen. It looks really it looks like a bad cartoon. What was George Lucas thinking? He was just trying to he was just trying to make cinema digital. I know what he was trying to do, but like it's like don't sacrifice story and character. Well, don't you think that they miss something when it's like there're no puppets? You know what I mean? Like Yeah. There's Cuz it's not a, it's not real. Yes. But but it's like he wants it to be on digital because But even I mean you can see the CGI character, but don't the, like none of the clone troopers were no one had a clone outfit on. They were all digitally put right. on to the people like right. There's nothing. There's nothing real in that world. Nothing was real. How do you really feel, though? <laughs> I just want. I just want you to know, Attack of the Clones is worse than Phantom Menace. Did Ron Howard do Solo? Is he the one that did Solo? He did like half. At first, it was the guys who did the Lego Movie, and then they just they got canned. Whoa! Because well, the guy that wrote Solo, uh, Lawrence Kasdan, was the guy who did like a lot of writing for Empire Strikes Back, and yeah, I remember. Uh, him. He did Force Awakens, Awakens, and he yeah. did some Return of the Jedi. He had like a lot of that, and he's like Han Solo's like his favorite guy, and him and his son wrote Solo. So, and it, be apparently awesome. before it was shot, it was supposed to be like one of the best, it was the best Star Wars script ever written is what was the rumor was like that was like Solo script was supposed to be like the best Solo, uh, the best Star Wars script, and then they hired those guys from the Lego Movie, and apparently they came in and just started like. Improvising a lot of the scenes to the point where they weren't even they weren't even shooting what was on the page, and I guess the dailies were getting back to the Lucasfilm and Lawrence Kasdan. They were just like, "What? No, you have to shoot." It's Lawrence Kasdan, simmer down. It's Lawrence Kasdan. Do what he says. <laughs> right. And then uh, they brought in Ron Howard to shoot what was on paper. Well, I, I guess they were making good. they were making it too the much. They were making good. it too much of a comedy. And so now it's going to be more. Well, it's, they're going for the western. It's adventure. like a western buddy cop sort of thing. I think is what they're going for. But it was they were supposed to have humor to it because that's Han Solo's character. But I think they were going like over the top with the the improvising the scenes and all that stuff. Well, that's the, what I've read. What did and you heard think of the trailer? Were you excited? It looks about good. The trailer? It visually, it looks awesome. Yeah, I was excited. We'll see. I don't know what the story is, but visually, it looks amazing. Well, I like it. I yeah. like it. We're gonna jump to our special guests. Miss Maya Sykes. Hello, hello. She, she wanted to talk about you? Star Wars so bad. She, I, I just was like, I'm really bored. What did I get myself Man, <laughs> she Phantom, like Phantom Menace just hurt my feelings. 
pants did. Man, this hurt it my feelings. Hurt it hurt my crushing. feelings. It took like the fifth view for me to just be like, oh, this isn't good. See, you gave it four more well, times. Well, because there was so much Star Wars nerdiness in me. I was like, I have go, and I'm like, I okay, couldn't do it's it. going to grow when on me. When she said, I want our love to be like it was on Naboo, I was officially out. Oh, you mean Attack of the Clones? <laughs> Can't. Mm-mm. No, that was a line. In fa- I, was that Phantom Menace? Or no, that was Attack of the Clones. You're right. Attack of right. the Clones, yeah. And I was just like, I can't. I deuce out. I quit. Yeah. I officially. When he starts talking, about, to, he's talking about sand and just no, how much he hates no, sand. I'm no, like, no, no. <laughs> Absolutely. What the hell is happening? You know what? Your brownie points just went through the roof. Did they? That you know details of Star Wars. I mean, you get a high five on the air. I like Star- That's the only uh, franchise I ever really, really got behind. I tried to get behind some of the other ones. Like, I missed a lot of the Avengers because, like, there were a lot of them. I just, There's and I was trying to keep it's up. It's like 19 films. It's hard to yeah. keep up. Yeah, them. and yeah. I was just like, I have stuff to do. No, uh, I, no I, I, I get that. I still haven't made it to see the last one. I finally made it to see uh, on the plane, going to, I fly a lot. So I was on the plane and saw the Ultron one, finally. Avengers 2, yeah. Finally. Like, I was the Which last Which is, the, I think, person. the weakest of the Avengers movies. Yeah, and I was like, if this is how they're going to be, no. I don't know. But then I heard this one. This is one. Like, this one's good. I heard all the things. And I've been trying to. There's a lot of people. And I'm trying to keep up with all the characters. Like, I heard Wakandans are in there and stuff. I'm like, it's a lot. Uh, So, but I haven't made it um, to see that movie yet because I haven't had a day off in quite some time. And the reason is, Eddie, she is the baddest of the baddest of the baddest of singers. No, no, no. You really are. Nikhil's prone to hyperbole. No, 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 no. But I really don't throw around that. I never really say that about singers right. she is one of the baddest singers I've ever heard Aww. she sings her ass <laughs> off all the time and it's just like I just go god she's so good every time I hear her sing I'm like <laughs> I think I see like the, the, the door to the next realm of the universe you know it is something special wow Maya awesome. we're gonna jump right into this we're gonna jump right into this go for what you know how did you get into music uh, I was actually born into music, believe it or not. My parents were on a tour. Uh, my mother was backup singing for Earth, Wind, and Fire, and my, oh my dad God. was playing horns for the Commodores. Jeez. And my Ooh. uncle um, was a costume designer named Bill Whitney, and he had designed the costumes for both groups. So he said, uh, my mom was doing some secretarial work and introduced uh, my mom and my dad. Uh, they were together very briefly, but enough to begat the genetic cocktail that became yeah, one. There you go. <laughs> and Eddie, those costumes, let's talk about those costumes for a second. They are very space age costumes. Well, his my uncle's biggest claim to fame was the glove for Michael Jackson. So he designed for what? Michael Jackson for like thirty years. Seriously? Did he yeah. come up with the idea of the one glove? Yeah, I can actually tell you the one glove story. Oh please! Oh my right. goodness! Wow! Right. So this is how it was told to that, me. That could be the greatest story ever told on this show. Okay. So my uncle technically is my great uncle. My, his name is Bill Whitten, but he's only seven years older than my father. Uh-huh. And my father had a band with his brother, my uncle Don, called Between the Two, that my dad was um, basically the headliner of, and he would do a lot of the singing, but my uncle Don would also sing, and he would play congas. So my uncle Bill had all these connections to record labels and was trying to break them in the U.S., so he made them all the same kinds of costumes that he made for Earth, Wind, and Fire and LTD and all those groups. Um, but he tried to make them have specific characteristics. So for my Uncle Don, he gave him this one glove so that when he played congas, it you know, accentuated his conga playing, right? So 
at the same time, he had been designing for the Jackson 5, and he had done two TV specials for them. So he did that big one where uh, Janet Jackson came out in that Mae West costume. Yeah. He did that. And he wow. did a lot of the Jackson 5 for a very long time. Uh, and at that time, they had decided that Michael was going to do his first solo record, so they were kind of in the works as to what the first single would be. They didn't really do a lot of music videos at the time, right? So Earth, Wind & Fire kind of broke that seal, and Bill had done the design work on that. So when they looked at trying to do a long play feature for uh, Michael's first single, they decided to pick Rock With You. And Bill said he wanted to make um, like a space-age version of something David Bowie would wear because he was trying to break uh, Michael Jackson out of an R&B market and cross him over, right? right? So... Michael would rehearse and dance for hours. And my uncle's great claim to fame that I think as a costume designer was that he made costumes, even though he had a design that you could you could see it, you could see his aesthetic, like he did a lot of beaded work and whatever. He still went in and watched the groups and tailored the style to the individual. That's amazing. So he noticed that whenever he would watch, he spent hours watching Michael dance and sketch. He noticed that when they did the choreography for Rock With You, uh, for um, Rock With You, whenever he went, when you feel that heat, he would put his hand up in front of his face and there was a little white spot. And over the course of three weeks, the little white spot kept getting bigger and bigger. And they kept trying to cover up with makeup, but uh, he would sweat it off. So they were trying to figure out what they could do. So because the entire suit was already encrusted in the same Swarovski design that my uncle had come up with, he decided to give him the glove on that hand so he had to call my uncle don and say i need to give the glove to michael jackson and my uncle don got super super upset he's like he's already a big famous star blah 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 like this is my signature thing he goes yeah i know but it's michael jackson uh so uh eventually the design kind of took off but initially it was only supposed to be with a rock with you suit they initially um we're only going to have it for that reason. They were going to try to figure out what was going wrong. They ended up making the glove a part of a set. So there's always, with every glove, there's always a matching set of socks. But the socks didn't happen until the Billie Jean video, which my uncle also had wow. a hand in art directing. So he yeah. made it, um, he wanted to have Michael look like a modern day version of the Rat Pack. So he put, a, but he also wanted the uh, dance moves to be accentuated. So he made a high water uh, tuxedo yeah. and made the socks and the glove to correspond, right? So, but they're very heavy. So Michael would practice with ankle weights and um, wrist weights because each, the glove weighs about three or four pounds and each of the really? socks weigh about like a pound and a half. Yeah. They're all encrusted with Swarovski crystal from front to back in this wire mesh wow. way. And other designers, after my uncle didn't work for him, other designers tried to do their version of the glove, but it was never as good wow. because of the way my uncle did the construction it was revolutionary for its time wow. he actually got it patented because it had three separate stages of production that's crazy dude that is one of the coolest stories i've ever heard in my wow. life another high five so wow. did you kind of start singing did you sing I with always, michael did you ever sing with michael i you know i never sang with I, I never sang anything more than like little nursery rhymes and songs and stuff but he was a big prankster and a big jokester and for whatever reason bubbles liked me so whenever my uncle had to fit bubbles he couldn't stand it but he'd bring me with him and he i could always tell when he was wanted to give me something because he'd be like uncle bill's gonna take you to disneyland uncle bill, he'd always say he'd always refer to himself as uncle bill 
Yeah. One time bubbles, bubbles bit me and I was like terrified the entire well, there time. There was like several bubbles, right? Yeah. It wasn't just I, one I, bubble. I got um, bubbles two okay. and three. <laughs> nice. And bubbles three bit me. Bubbles two was really cool, but yeah. died of like a weird pneumonia. Oh, really? Something. So did you, you hung out with Michael all the time? Not like all the time. I think I can count on one hand. But I will say when my uncle died, Michael called me. Wow. Which was weird. <laughs> but amazing. very he was very nice. He called me from Bahrain. He had nothing but nice things to say. He apologized that he couldn't come to the service. He sent this huge floral spray. Actually, he and Lionel Richie sent huge floral sprays that like I could barely get in the room. And Bill did such iconic work for so many different people. It was hard to know who to contact because I didn't have any people's numbers by the time my uncle died. Um, But I got weird phone calls. Probably the most surreal was the Michael Jackson one. I also had a weird phone call with Lola Falana. Three times I hung up on him. There was like an operator. You know how when you get a phone call that says unknown caller, right? This just said call. And I was like, this is some government CIA type <laughs> joint. And I have bills. So there's no, like part of me thought like, okay, this is either a bill collector or some like highly specialized <laughs> CIA kind of crap. I can't believe you hung up. But he, he got hung up on a lot. Well, no, Everybody he had an opera, he had an assistant, you know, kind of patch him through. So I hung up on her three times before she had to say, ma'am, I, I'm not. Did he ever hear you sing? I don't know. I, not he for real. Have. I don't he know. Have. There are a couple of people that my uncle worked with that I always wondered why I never got to sing in front of them. But I don't know. I think that one of the things that being a person who's lived in Los Angeles her whole life, I went to a very <laughs> hoity-toity private school. So I What's always I went to a school called Crossroads. I know Crossroads. So I, I went there ask. and I saw a lot of movie stars drop off their children. So I guess I just have a different viewpoint of fame and that kind of accolade like I don't know that I would want somebody being like here's my niece she sings too do you know what I mean like there's something to be said about going in and doing your job yeah you know and not making a fuss about it so I don't I'm not I don't feel slighted in any way that's amazing I'm Mm -hmm. still just kind of taking all that in so you kind of were in this golden era of music in a way that was a great introduction in a way everybody else was watching it on tv you were like living it well and i got really cool things out of it too i remember when my uncle did the rhythm nation stuff he gave me one of the hats you know and i was like in my room trying to do the choreography (laughs) like falling upon myself so was michael or janet your favorite I don't know. I, I always thought Michael was my favorite, but I, I don't know. That's hard to say because Janet's awesome. I never got to meet her, but I met Michael a couple times because he would come to my uncle's studio and then I would, you know, go out and see Bubbles, whichever they'd bring out. And my uncle was always pissed when he had to fit Bubbles. He'd like curse <laughs> under his breath. <laughs> Eddie, I'm going to get you a Bubbles. No, I'm good. I'm going to get you Bubbles number four. I have a son. That's enough Bubbles. <laughs> Maya, when did you start singing? What was the age? Do you remember? <sighs> no, I don't remember. I can tell you the first time I got money for it. The first time I got money for it, I was seven. Wow. 
what were you what were you, what were you singing? Uh, I sang in some ta- uh, some talent show and I won a hundred dollars and nice. I was like yay! So then the next week, uh, the guy who ran the talent agency hooked me up with to do like this McDonald's commercial and I sang like in some children's choir for a McDonald's commercial. And then after that, I ended up singing in a choir for Jesse Jackson's Rainbow Coalition Whoa. and they paid me two hundred dollars. Like, this is it. I'm ready. I was like, I need all the money. <laughs> you're killing it right out of the gate. You're killing it. My first really big job singing wise was uh, I did the choir for Home Alone and I still get residual checks from that Home Alone 2 first one oh, the first, first one. one I did the first and the second That's one actually oh the one the where they're in the church yep okay okay but I did the choir the actual choir that sang it not in the church oh really and then they used my voice and this other girl's voice and they put our voices together to make the solo voice for the girl in the church oh really so because that gave me feature I still get residual checks from Home wow. Alone wow that's awesome that's a good movie too. Yeah, great. I've movie. sung for movie soundtracks, and you see the movie, and it's like, oh, this sucks. This is bad. I've only you, you sang for a good movie, but I only really did it in like adult, and I never have done it like really well in adulthood, except for like maybe the last five years. And I've always just done the choir work. Like, so I've done choir work for La La Land and choir work for a couple of other films. But I've been waiting on the day where I get the really nice feature in the movie. That hasn't happened yet. It, but it'll one happen. day, one day, it'll happen. Baby steps. Baby steps. Baby steps down the hall. All right. So then you went to Crossroads. I did. Did you know that you wanted to do music then? I always knew I wanted to do music and I always knew I wanted to study stuff so I was uh, in the performance arts um, department but I also was in the uh, English and science department so I actually I graduated with a 4.7 GPA only because I took weighted um, AP classes the last two years I was in high school. So technically, I could have entered um, university as a sophomore, but I thought that was an extremely bad idea. <laughs> Smart decision. And she went to Yale. Damn. And check this out. Just tell Eddie how many degrees. Well, technically, I only have the one degree. I majored in three things. Wow. So I qualify for yeah, three yeah, yeah. degrees. But they I only majored... give you one. Yes. And you have to declare one. Yeah. Uh, so I majored in political science, African-American studies, and music composition. Because I wanted to take music classes, and you could only do that undergrad at the composition level. You couldn't major right. in your discipline until graduate school at Yale. Right. Wow. Insane. And did you sing in a choir there? Did you I sang in a choir for money. I never sang for like realsies. Um I was in <laughs> I was in an a cappella group. That's what everybody who could sing. Dude, that's what right. I did in college too. So I was in mixed company. Oh. Shout out to Mick the Gump. Was it guys and girls? Guys and girls. Awesome. I there vocal, was vocal percussion or there, no? of course, of course. Right. There was one that I almost joined, but I felt like if I joined it, I was only joining it because I was black and but they were an awesome a cappella group. The, uh, they were called Shades, but that was the one that like all the good, cool black people were in. So sometimes I felt like I wasn't that cool. And all the cool black people were like, we're still friends with you, but you should have joined Shades. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and then you came back to Los Angeles. I, well, I went to England first for a year because I did a graduate program. Uh, our sister school is Oxford, so there's like a graduate program you can do and you can take classes at Oxford and City School. So I did that for a year. Then I came home. I got various weird singing jobs and like 
like I had this job on the Queen Mary singing in this show, but it was almost like it it was the modern day equivalent of a stripper show, like with music. So they had girls in like firemen costumes and da da da. It was supposed to be like a burlesque show, right. but because it, of the way it was laid out, it was a little stripper esque. <laughs> like just I think that's what everyone oompa. assumes burlesque is nowadays. No, but it was it's like, just like stripping. And the girls were kind of upset about it because they were all professional dancers, yeah. and they were like, "Yeah, I wasn't trying to like join Spearmint Rhino." Like, yeah. Big ups to Spearmint Rhino and all the ladies that yeah. work there. Like, no tea, no shade. But you know I mean, when you thought like you were going to be doing a lyrical ballet solo, and well, they say it's burlesque, and then they walk in and like, "No, we don't really mean burlesque, we right? Mean we mean stripping. maybe you should have yeah. some dollars." Yeah. Okay, word. Um, yeah, and then I had a job at a funeral home singing for funerals for two years. God, that must have been tough. Oh, gosh. That must have been emotionally trying. Well, okay. So there was a system. So we'd all draw straws for kid funerals because oh, nobody bro. wanted kid oh, Nobody gosh. wanted kid funerals. They suck. And I quit the day I had one. I was like, yeah, I'm never going to do this again. Um, but I got some really funny stories from, oddly enough. Like. <laughs> okay. So... Um, the most profitable racism I've ever experienced was singing at a funeral. So I would get uh, a catalog of songs to sing, and I would get slightly more jobs because I had also trained classically, so I could do Ave Maria and some of the classical pieces. So this particular time, they had requested Ave Maria, and the I'm not allowed to like I'm not allowed to say the um, actual funeral home, but right. let's just say they're really really big and across the street from right. Warner Brothers. Yeah, okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> um, so. Uh, they had this catalog, whatever. They, you know, have the song, whatever. You'd go to the main chapel, was usually where the bigger funerals were. And I sang Ave Maria. And I, it looked like I was singing to the cast of The Sopranos, like just straight up, like hardcore Italian, like acrylic nails, <laughs> wingtips, like the whole thing, right? And this dude came up to me, this navy blue pinstripe soup, and he goes, verbatim. You know, when I saw that a colored girl was going to sing Ave Maria, I had my doubts, but that was beautiful. And he tipped me $100. You're like, thank you, asshole. No, I was just like, that's a weird cultural moment. Because I don't think that he meant to be offensive at all. No. He just came from a completely different generation. generation, But it was the most profitable racism I've ever experienced. You're like, I'll take the money and I'll take the the kind of weird compliment. What are you going to do? And then when did you, you got signed to Sony? I did. I was uh, on a dance label that got acquired by Sony. And so then I was going to do this dance record. I did it. Um, They ended up shelving it. Then it got, uh, one of the singles got picked up to be released for Tommy Boy Records uh, through this DJ named Manny Lehman. Uh, So I did that. And it actually got um, some critical acclaim. And I was on like the Billboard club chart. Like, I was number one on the Billboard Club chart for, like, six weeks or something. That's awesome. Um, So that was cool. Um, I'm not anywhere on the cover of this record. Like, my face is not on it. Like, I think my name is spelled wrong, (laughs) but I was there. Um, Yeah. And then I've I've done a lot of house things. It's okay. You know, it's like, if you look up the single, it's a single called Body Rock, and there's this cute white girl on the cover, and she looks very nice. I don't know who she is. <laughs> You're like she was not part of the musical. Process. I've been I've been a CNC Music Factory a couple times. Like <laughs> there was another single that came out in Italy, and it's a black girl, but she's skinny and has a weave down to her behind, and it's not me. So there wow. you go. Yeah, but they can't sound like you, so it's, it's, it's all never, good. It's, like <laughs> it's never gonna. Happen. I got paid, so it was 
what it was. <laughs> and then you started, you, you were in the endangered. Yeah, right? well, I started with the endangered by happenstance. Uh, I got called by a great drummer named Gene Coy, and he said he was writing with his college friend. They both went to CalArts. Uh, and they wanted to start doing some songs for licensing. And so we started writing some songs and discovered we were like, hey, we kind of like these songs. Maybe we're a band. (laughs) (laughs) So shout out to the endangered. Those are my guys. We're on a little bit of a hiatus because two of the members had babies. So we're kind of letting them figure out how to raise their youngins. We're like, we're gonna we're gonna pause. Well, like, I mean, like when your wife's about to pop, like what am I gonna say? Like, yeah. When are you gonna give me the stems? You know what I mean? Like yeah. you have to it's cool. Well, do we have any tracks? On? We have three. Okay, what do you want to play first? Uh, okay, if you play The Endangered, that was our second single. And uh, I was really proud of that single. Uh, we produced that single and did the entire music video ourselves. So I styled it myself for uh, $700 for everything. Nice. Our friend directed it. So I think we ended up spending like maybe two grand for the whole thing. Wow. And I don't know. It was just that moment where camaraderie really takes over. We were like, we don't know how we're going to pull this off. And it ended up being my favorite song on the record. So I guess do that one. Here we go. What's it called? (laughs) Dollars. Dollars. Here we go. Try to make a way. Don't count your paper stacks in paper plans. Young, fab, and baroque, we've all been led astray. The world is in need of a change. Yeah, but if it don't make a dollar, will it break your heart? If it don't make a dollar, will it fall apart? If it don't make dollars, is it real? Can you call it art? If it don't make a dollar, will it break your little Will it break Tell your me. heart? 
salty but a goodie. That was grooving. Thank you. Man. Mm. How long did you, like, write that? How long did it take for all of you to write that? Uh, it took us about a day. And then when we had the first um, EP uh, produced, it was produced by a guy named Stephen Miller, who did a lot of the stuff for Modesky, um, Martin, and Wood. He did some Shaka Khan stuff, uh, early Maroon 5. So he definitely had his own stamp on things that I think was great for my band initially. I think that the new record really showed us how to self-produce, which was something that we needed to learn how to do as a band. So it's going to be nice for me anyway to hear what the new growth is of our band because over the years we learned various aspects of production that we didn't have when we first started. So whenever I hear that record, I always hear it as the step to our independence. Does that make sense? And Eddie, you saw the endangered open for the NK band at House of Blues. Yeah. And you know what? I'll tell you. I was trying to place it. I knew I'd do you. I, I have, there's, and there's the bands, video of you on my computer. I would watch their sound check and I was like, yeah, yeah. oh man, we gotta have our shit together. <laughs> yeah. they, they would just be jamming at sound check. I'd be like, damn, I don't get nervous for many opening acts, but I got nervous. That, and I look over at my drummer and my drummer's like, I can't believe Gene Coy is opening for us. Like, dude, I gotta make sure. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like the band is, just rattle off all the people that are in the band. Uh, it's it's Gene Coy on drums. Frank Abraham is on bass. Nick Block is on guitar. And we always have a rotating keyboard uh, position. So uh, we've had a lovely roster, but our three, actually our four favorites tend to be uh, Lynette Williams, Lincoln Cleary, Sam Barsh, and uh, Brandon Coleman. Good players. All badass. I think so. And all add their own unique flavor to our group, which has been great. And your sound is just awesome. It's just grooving. Thank you. It's, the vocals are amazing. I mean, Thank just, you. It's like this all-star band. And it's is it all L.A. cats, too? Y- yeah, we're all... Well, uh, Gene's originally from Chicago. Mm-hmm. Frank and I are L.A. to our core. And uh, Nick's originally from Seattle. That, it's just an eclectic band. Yeah, but, I mean, I think that that's the future, Keno. Yep. <laughs> Keno? <laughs> now, I, I know that this is not what it's about for you, because it's when I hear you sing... You should never be singing backup for people. You just should like I was just telling well, my writing partner, I'm like, this girl should never sing backup for people because she sings circles around everybody that you sing backup for. Oh, well, but you're just nice. like mention some of the names that you sung backup for. Uh, I was with Macy Gray for about five years. Uh, I currently work with Aloe Black now. Uh, live performance wise, I worked with Rita Ora, Leona Lewis, The Roots. Uh, Tori Kelly. I'm trying to think some other people. I've done Fantasia Barino. Uh, it's a lot of people. I'm trying to think. Um, and then on Wax, I've been... I did the first Alan Stone record. Uh, so I did a Celebrate Tonight and Sleep. Um, I did Joss Stone. Did stuff for Macy. Uh, Avril Lavigne. Some other people. So all those singers that you could sing circles. A lot. Well, I mean, it's hard to remember like all these people. I'm like, it's been, you know, after a while, it's it kind of whirlwinds. You know what I mean? But what I like about the endangered is it's like you're fronting the band. You're. I like that too. Your asshole, you know? Because <laughs> because when I hear that you're singing backup for people, I'm like, why? She's she's better than all of them combined. I'm going to tell you exactly why. It's called rents and bills <laughs> and other luxuries that I like. No, that's good. Eating. 
Um, let's talk a little bit about the next track you want to play. What are you going to play us next? Well, I've been working with this group uh, for the last three and a half years called Postmodern Jukebox, and I've gotten to do a couple of really cool arrangements. Uh, so this uh, Juicy was the first one that I ever really got to have a hand in the arrangement, and it was just a lot of fun to do. I've always wanted to cover a Notorious B.I.G. song, so... <laughs> <laughs> Explain to Eddie what Postmodern Jukebox Postmodern Jukebox was started by a guy named Scott Bradley, and he started it as a collective, a jazz collective that specialized in doing pop tunes but giving them kind of a renaissance twist if you will Hmm. so kind of a back in the day uh jazz ragtime kind of twist to it and it took off on youtube so on youtube i want to say they have three million subscribers they have uh, managed to do multiple worldwide tours for the last two and a half years and now they've gotten so big they can have two tours going at the same time and the videos are the, the interpretations of all the covers they do are super creative, very creative, and and, and done live. So it's live to tape when we when we record. When you see the video, that's actually the uh, the same audio. It's not like I went in wow. later and then lip synced to. That's the actual audio capture. So that makes it fun to do, but because you can't hear, you kind of have to really be on it. Um, but I've gotten a lot of leeway in having my arrangements done, having them done the way that I wanted to. I met up with Postmodern Jukebox right after I was kicked off The Voice, and after I was kicked off The Voice, I didn't have any work, so I was kind of panicking, and they were really welcoming and wanted to represent actually who I was. They didn't want me to be you know, some corporate stooge. They right. really were interested in what I had to say mm-hmm. and allowing me to be my own artist and have my own voice, so I really appreciated that. And the irony of you getting kicked off The Voice is you can sing circles around every judge on The Voice. You know, that goes the way it goes. You can't really pick that up or put it down. The Voice is a television show and its design is to make engaging television. Yeah. First that's and foremost, it. it's the television show. That's it, and that's but, all they care you about. Know what? I watched the little video of, of Maya and I don't remember the other singer's name. Elijah Renee. Just to give you an example. And she just sang circles around this other singer. And they went with the other singer. And I was just watching this going, this sucks. Because this, no, this well, there was 15 can... producers in a van going, right. you got to pick her. Yeah, well, right. no. And I also, but I kind of see why they, you know, he was young. I think he was like 18 or 19. You know, I get, I get it. So yeah, but I had to not take you're, it. You're too kind. You're very kind. Because, like, I watch that as an experienced musician. I go, she just sang her ass off, and he's too But young, it's not so. about experienced musicians. Exactly. Right. It's not about right. that. Right. Well, get, let's get back to the song. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here it is. You know very well who you are. Don't let them hold you down. Reach up for the stars. If you have that gun, but not that many. Because you're the only one that gives you good and plenty. Well, it was all a dream. I used to read what a magazine. Some type of heavy day up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic, Molly Mall. I let my tape rock to my tape pop. Smoking on bamboo, sipping on private stock. Way back when I had the red and black number jack with the hot to match. Remember rapping to the high, the high. You never thought that hip hop would take it this far. Now I'm in the line, like, cause I'm tight. Time to get paid, you got bless the world trade. Born center, the opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat them sardines for dinner? Beast or on G, Lucy Free, kick it free. Fuck back to flex, love fuck, start ski. Blowing up like you thought I would. Call the crib, same number, same word. It's all. It's all so good And if you don't know 
Thank you. How did you get like those kind of reflections? Oh, Easy there. No, it wasn't done. There was still 18 <laughs> seconds left. Oh, yeah. They're like, let's advertise other stuff at the end of videos. <laughs> you know, like everybody's got to have their marketing strategy. Do no, it. No tea, do, no shit. Do the dance, right? How do we come? Well, Scott and I wanted to do a Biggie song. So we kind of figured out the chord structure. And then I kind of played with a couple different melodies and settled on one that worked. Like, did you listen to Biggie and then go, all right, I'm going to take this phrase and do... Yes. That's amazing. Yes. And then I thought, you know, I also had to work with what the chord structure was. So once we established what that was... And, and I time. Could, yes. Time is like so much faster. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it was hard. It was hard. It's amazing. It's hard to perform live, but I like a good challenge. And the amazing thing, too, is like you're well-versed in jazz and classical and soul. I wanted to ask you this just because I'm curious. How many songs do you think you know? Oh, my gosh. Because every time I've seen her sing, like she does this original project, and then I'll go see her like a soul thing, and she just whips out amazing renditions of insane amounts of covers. And I'm like, dude, this girl knows music in and out. I don't, I've never thought about how many songs I know. See, this is, these are good questions. I'm going to guess that I could say maybe a thousand. I, that might be accurate. I'm going to say, well, if I add the classical stuff and the jazz stuff, maybe like 12 or 1300. I was going to say 12. <laughs> I was like, maybe more than 12. That's incredible. But, you know, some of them are like burned into my memory forever. 
and others, I have to go, okay, well, how did this go? <laughs> but you know what the funny thing is? It's like you make it sound like you've been listening to it every day, learning every note, and then taking the interpretation. Because you know when to rev that engine and just let it go. And it's, um, it's amazing. I think if you find the story of a song, you can do that. Even if the lyrics on its surface don't seem like they have a story, if you can still find the arc and whatever story you want to tell, then you can make it work. Mm. So whenever I'm memorizing things, I try to memorize it by the story. Like, what happened? What the, What did they say? How did it go? And that makes it easier to memorize. Smart cookie. Who are your favorite singers? I don't think now I've ever asked you that. or in All life? Time. In life, past, present. Okay. Ella Fitzgerald, Jeff Buckley, uh, let's see, Sarah Vaughn. I like your choices so far. Um, this is hard. Okay, let's see. All right. I also am a big fan of Tim Buckley, who is Jeff Buckley's dad, Folks for here. different reasons. Right? Mm. Um, and then I always just really have this affinity to Nat King Cole, so that's probably my top five. He's such a badass. He just sounds like your grandfather in a smoking jacket. Like, I don't know how he embodies that sound. And I, I'm going to say this just because you should say it, and I appreciate his phrasing, but Frank Sinatra. Oh, man, he's the best. So well, that would I, be I would thought I would have thought you would have said Donny Hathaway. I love Donny Hathaway. It's one of those things where Donny Hathaway is definitely a favorite voice of mine, but whenever I hear Donny Hathaway songs, I want to cry. There's just something about his interpretations of songs that yeah. just gives me such... Not even sorrow, just there's something so emotional about that. And sometimes I can't do it. Like, sometimes I listen to it and I'm like, I can't, I can't Well, I would have said Nina Simone. Nina Simone was the meanest woman I've ever met in my entire life. You met Nina Simone? I took a master class with her. Wow. And I love her voice. I love her as a person in theory. It was hard to be her student. Why, Why was she just, like, hardcore? She was hardcore in a way where you could see life had been great and not great at the same time. And so she wanted you to be tougher. And she went out of her way to make sure that you were tougher. Like at least two or three students cried. And, mm. and she taught six of the classes. So it was a 12 series master class and she taught six of the classes. And yeah, she made at least two to three students, different students each time cry. And, but I kind of got it. Like, she was trying to say, if this is what you want to do, yeah. you Get can't be a little it. bitch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well but, said, that, but the business will do that to you anyway. You but know? I think no, that that was a prepping, part of it, prepping. was that she was like, you better learn today. Mm. And she uh, wouldn't let us sing any of the songs that we were supposed to sing, so we all got nursery rhymes. Really? She made you sing nursery rhymes? I sang the Itsy Bitsy Spider like 18 ways a Sunday. <laughs> you know what? Just to have our, our listeners listen to you sing acapella, just sing me something. Sing to me, Maya. Sing to us. All right. Well, okay. This is the only time Nina Simone ever smiled at me in the class. You had to sing Itsy Bitsy Spider, like different styles, whatever. She'd be like, make it Latin, make it whatever. So this is my swing. Ready? All right. You ready? Yes, now. I'm ready. One, two. Uh, the it. Bitsy spider went up the water spout. Then da 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 came the rain, and it washed the spider out. Ba ba da came the sun, and it dried up all the rain. So the 
itty bitty spider when a other spider can. Da da ga spider when up the a water spout down down came all of the ringing and it washed the spider out. Ba 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 da came the sun and it dried up all the rain. So a the itsy bitsy spider, the itsy bitsy spider, the itsy bitsy spider went up the spout again and again. Yay! Yeah! <laughs> that was amazing. Good God. That's the best rendition of that song ever. Yeah, probably. Probably like, is. All time. I would say so. Before we play your last song, Maya, where can people find you if they want to hire you, if they want to find your music? Where can people find you on the interwebs? On the World Wide Webs? Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. On Instagram, I am Maya Sykes1. No, I take it back. On Instagram, I'm Maya Sykes. On Twitter, I'm Maya Sykes. I will, because I know, and my name has a lot of vowels. My mom was into Hindu meditation when I was a child. (laughs) Uh, My name is spelled M A I Y A S Y K E S. So, Maya Sykes. That's my Instagram. Maya Sykes One is my Twitter. Maya Sykes Entertainment is my Facebook fan page. So, you can send me messages if you want there. Or you can go to MayaSykes.com, which should resurface in two weeks. I had to take it down to add new pictures and stuff. Um, but if you want to hire me, you can message me at any of those locations and I'll get back to you. Uh, if you want to come see me perform, I'll be at Vitello's uh, June 8th at 7.30 and the tickets are at their website, which is uh, vitellosrestaurant.com. Other than that, you can find me hustling in the streets of Los Angeles <laughs> for vocals and money um, and giving God high thanks and praises. There you go. Well done. That's a great pitch. I try. Loved it. All right, what are we going to play next? Well, this is the last single, I, the latest single I did with Postmodern Jukebox, and it's the only other time I've ever charted on iTunes, so I got really excited. Yay. Another high five. So uh, this is currently on the iTunes jazz charts, and it's called Zombie. It was a tribute to the lead singer of the Cranberries.
You're just a badass. Thank you. You are. You are. Well, you're pretty bad yourself, sir. No, no. I know you are the queen of Los Angeles ah. when it comes to singing. Honestly, <laughs> there's not many singers that like put me in that hypnot- like, hypnotic Aww. phase. Every time I hear you sing, it's just I go to this place where it's just like, God, that's the way it's supposed to be. Well, thank you. I mean that. Anyways, thank you for being a guest. Thank you for having me. Last high five of the night. Eddie? Yeah. I miss you, man. It's I'm nice right to here. See you there. I know, but you miss me. I'm right you know here. what? It's good to see you. You too. 
<laughs> well, on behalf of Maya and Eddie. Maya, thank you for Eddie being a guest. Stay, stay G'd up. I'm trying. <laughs> You're over the top. It's a struggle. Man. Over the top. It's Struggle's real. We'll Struggle's see you guys real. next week. Woo! <laughs>